Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number seven. We are recording on October 13th, which is a Tuesday. And I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm Mike McKenna. And they say they said we'd never make six. Here we are. I know. This is becoming actual work for me, which is uh, actually a little bit scary. So anyways, we are going to start, as we always have so far this season, with an election update. Because I have a few observations, anecdotal things I'd like to share. And and I have And then moved. you're going to make some news. You're going to make news. I am going to make news. I have moved in my percentage. So. What's your percentage? I'll let you go first. What's your percentage? I have moved to 50-50. Can you tell me why you moved to 50-50? I can tell you why. Go ahead. I can tell you why. I am usually, I'm not trying to be boastful or bragging, and I've spent a lot of time actually talking to voters uh, during campaigns because I've done a lot of door knocking. I've, I've either managed or de facto managed campaigns in the past. And usually uh, after a while you start to hear a familiar pattern, right? So in 2000 and is it six? That was the midterms uh, for Bush, right? The, the disaster in the midterms? Yeah. Yeah, that's 2006. In 2006, when I was walking precincts for uh, former Congressman Richard Pombo in the Central Valley in California, a consistent theme occurred to me, and it was Iraq war fatigue. And it was obvious to me that that was setting in with the voters even though it wasn't like a critical sort of component of the midterms. I don't recall anyway. I don't think it was uh, something that, I mean, it was certainly part of the theme, but it it was unsolicited Iraq war fatigue. Yep. That was what I noticed. And, and when we were um, going into even sort of the strongest precincts uh, for the congressman, it was clear to me that they were just having none, none to do with it. Mm-hmm. So I say that as background because I have not gone door to door in the last couple of cycles. I'm getting older. I've got kids. There's all kinds of stuff going on. I'm not sort of built for campaigns anymore. But as you and I recall in 2016, all of the polling said what it's saying basically now. I understand you your nuances and your differences, which you can rearticulate for our readers. I just want to point out I was right in 2016. I understand that. And just, and, just want to get but that I am moving now. my I am moving I'm, to 50-50 and I'm, I'm going to explain I'm why. Lay, I'm laying the groundwork for And I was right too. So if I'm I was right and you were right and you're going a different way this time and I'm going a potentially a different way. Well I was right in front we'll of We'll see who's right. I, I was right in front of more people in 2016. So, How about if I say it that way? Okay, but I want to finish this point. Go ahead. In 2016 I noticed a theme. It was fairly consistent. And I understand there's a lot of differences between 2016 and now, but not not a ton, just a few. I think the main difference is the guy who is running in the Democratic Party. Other than that, I think the script has been exactly the same as 2016 for the Democrats. I think that their campaign strategy is we ran a very good campaign in 2016 against this guy. We're just going to run the exact same same campaign against him. This time we will win because Hillary Clinton is not at the top of the ticket. Is that an accurate description of what do you think is happening I'd in quibble 2016? With it, but yeah, I'd quibble with it, but it's sort of foundational, yeah. Right. And we all we've, we both have determined this is the Seinfeld campaign. Mm-hmm. This is a campaign about nothing so that Donald Trump is, in fact, the star and the focus is on him. So. How can Trump win? I think he's going to get annihilated in the popular vote. 
And maybe that's a strong term. He's going to lose the popular vote fairly go. handily. There we go. By how many points in the fairly handily? <sighs> I don't know. What was it last go round? 1.8 percentage points. I think it'd be even higher. Maybe two, two and a half. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that makes, what, what that matters anymore anyway. But I think, and, and here's where I say 50-50. I think that the, the election could legitimately be a route for Biden. As far on the other side, I think the election outcome could be that Trump wins the Electoral College and actually gains point, gains in the Electoral College. What state is he going to win now that he didn't win previously? I don't know exactly what state he's going to win that he didn't win previously. And I don't know exactly what he will lose that he won previously. Wait, okay. Is that the same thing? I didn't follow the second part. So <laughs> I, I'm okay. just going to say, okay. So. Why do I say that? Because I don't believe the polls. Okay. I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're tracking the right thing. Okay. And I think there's two things going on. I'll give you an anecdote. I was uh, I was visiting a relative over the weekend, and she had a Trump flag proudly displayed inside her house, and I said, "Wow, that's an interesting spot for a very large Trump flag." She said, well, I won't dare hang it outside because I don't want to clean up eggs on my house for the next month. Okay, that's one anecdote. Yeah. Another anecdote was a friend of mine, I won't name this person, said that his wife, who kind of pays attention to politics but doesn't actually care much and doesn't actually vote in every election, signed her mail-in ballot immediately for Biden. Because she's just done with this guy. It's a second anecdote. Yeah. Where am I going with this? I, I think that there is a. Ask. I think it's clear that he's going. Biden's going to get a lot of votes. Uh, I don't know where he's going to get more votes, and whether that'll make a difference in the electoral college. Meaning, I think the blue states are going to up the vote for Biden, and I don't know. I think. I don't know if. Uh, you know, some of these other states, uh, it's it's going to be as as prominent. I do think that there is a hidden Trump voter who doesn't say or or share with any poll or anything else. I think that that that's going to be a phenomenon in this cycle as well. I think Trump's voters' enthusiasm is higher, has to be higher, right? I've seen signs that said "I'll settle for Biden," right? That kind of stuff. I think though the the key here is if what happens in the next three weeks or so. I think that the contrast on the COVID, I think COVID is the thing that's not being factored into any of these polls or anything else. Do you think it's a plus for the president? I think it could be. Is it or isn't it? I think it could be if he does it right in the next three weeks. If he says we can manage COVID, we need to move on, and he does it without flying off the rails about how he's like, you know, Superman now, then... I think that that uh, he's the contrast between manage and move on and fear and masks and Fauci is, I think, a potential game changer in the next few weeks. If there's anything that can change the outcome, I think that is it. If, as he says, he's barnstorming the country for the next, you know, umpteen days nonstop and he's sending Pence out nonstop. I think if they focus in on this, I think a lot of voters will have that in the back of their minds. They are seeing images of ridiculous images, quite candidly, of these other two campaigns who are stoking fear about COVID and have basically said, I'll do whatever Fauci says. Right. Um, that to me is the potentially 
right. hidden factor between now and election day that could potentially because I don't think anyone so, would admit to anybody else that they're sick and tired of what is being done in this country and pockets of this country well, with respect to COVID. Well, okay. So let me just see if I can boil your, your argument down to its essence. Um, you're counting on a 74-year-old guy to discover focus in the next 20 days and drive his campaign message relentlessly, a narrow campaign message relentlessly across multiple states over the next three weeks. Is it, have I summarized that I, part of it right? Okay. I don't think it has to be exclusively, but that has just, to be uh, the central uh, piece. Just, you said that you, has to that has okay, to be articulated me, front okay, and center. Okay, let me let me. Okay, that's even better. So you you're counting on a 74 year old billionaire to narrowly focus his message on one thing at the top, and then, in your words, not get off the rails at any point. Uh, to anyone who's listening to this podcast, to any one of our 10 viewers who want in on this deal. Actually, how do we even know how many viewers I have no idea. Have? I am taking all comers on this bet, all comers, and I'm going to give you 10 to 1 odds, and I'm going to take numbers up to 1,000 bucks, just so you know, um, on the idea that this guy could maintain discipline for, you know what, let's not even make it 20 days. Let's make it 10 days for the sporting folks out there. So call me up. You know, I'm numbers. Looking forward to making a bunch of money on this campaign. So, and your other big theory is, is that the Democrats theory is busted that, you know, um, Joe Biden's not Hillary Clinton. Truthfully, that's the whole, that's the core of this campaign. And it is why he is going to win because he is not Hillary Clinton. Her unfavorables were approximately equivalent to the president on game day in 2016. She lost to him. Joe Biden's favorables have been bouncing around the center line, but usually in positive territory. He's always about 15 points better than the president. So you're going to have a bunch of people going to vote for the president, even though they have unfavorable views of him. You're definitely going to have that. But you're going to have a lot more people going to vote for Joe Biden because they're tired of the show. Um, so I'm imagining, contrary to you, I'm imagining that Mr. Biden is going to win the popular vote by perhaps as many as five percentage points. But certainly no less than, certainly no less than um, four, right? Um, well, I say certainly no less than four. It could be as small as three. Is it possible that the president wins re-election? It's definitely possible, right? He could, he could draw enough voters in 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 Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in North Carolina, and in Arizona again, and recreate his electoral map. Is there any hope at all he's going to expand his electoral map? You would have to imagine that every single survey out of Minnesota has been wrong. So, I, and, I, and I will point out, by the way, all the surveys from all the states I just listed have Mr. Biden with at least a plus five. Okay. Now, is it plus possible? Five on, plus five in a survey is what in real life? Probably plus three. Plus three. You're yeah. only giving it a 2%. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, look, you know, we're not talking about a thousand respondents one time. We are literally talking now about. 20 and 25,000 respondents spread out over six months in some of these places. If you, if, if Biden loses this election at this point, right, without anything intervening in the next three weeks, which I think is still possible, but if he does this, you should stop driving over bridges because exactly the same kind of um, sampling that goes on in cement and bolts and engineering is going on in this election. So if it doesn't work now, I would not ever get in another tall building for the rest of my life because I would conclude our whole theory of sampling is wrong. 
All the mathematical underpinnings of our society are shot to hell. So if that is start storing up why ammunition, do you even and give him a 30% chance? Because I think something might change in the next three weeks. Okay. But I will say this, last point on this campaign, and I've I've said this a million times and I've written it at least eight times already. This is the most static race in the history of this generation and probably in the last 50 years. I've been too lazy to go back and look at it, but nothing has changed this race. Nothing. Not COVID, not the diagnosis, not um, Mr. Biden's obviously obvious fragility, not the craziness of um, Senator Harris. None of it. Not not a thing has changed in his campaign. Okay. Well, look, Biden started off seven points up in the surveys. He's seven points up in the surveys. I just, I'm not. I know. I get it. it it's and I and I do. Part of me is biased in that you know there's the cha- a hope the, that this. I mean, look, and, and the I've, thought that the president's going to maintain discipline for any length of time. It, 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 we have a situation going on right now that's going to make my point for me, right? The the media and the the Republicans have Biden up against the rope on packing the court, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to write it in my column for next Thursday, right? That even if Biden gives an answer, right? He gives an answer. The reason why he doesn't want to give an answer is because it might lead to other questions and it'll piss off some people. And make of course, he, about can't, about he cannot say he won't, even though he has said it twice Right. Very forcefully in past occasions. Right. He doesn't personally think that that the Senate should pack the court. He sure. doesn't. But he can't say it sure. because the progressives will go ape. Sure. But he misses. Bleep. But he misses the bigger point. He could get up on top of the Empire State Building and take off all his clothes and say he hates packing of the court as an idea. He's going to oppose it to the death. And in fact, if the Senate sends him the bill, he's going to jump off the Empire State Building. And you know what difference it would make in the campaign? Nothing. And you want to know why? Because on that very same day or shortly thereafter, the president would no doubt engage in a tweet storm about some obscure Russian hoax or the fact that John Durham needs to bring everybody to justice or some other thing that no one else cares about. Okay, I get I absolutely get what you're saying. Just can't get out of his own way. Again, I said there's a chance that if he does make this about moving on and managing covid versus fear and Fauci yeah. that I do think that 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 could be yeah. the thing that people go into the b- booth with in their minds is do I want more of this yeah or do we want to move beyond this yeah I, I agree if the if uh, I agree totally with that with that but if the president could drive a message yeah okay if, if he had message discipline he would already be up by six points and vanishing over the hill on this guy. He cannot do it. He's physically incapable of it. All right. I want to play um, uh, just a quick ad from the Trump campaign using Biden's own words, which, if anything, if anything (laughs) anything good comes out of this, (laughs) is we will have lots and lots of fun Biden clips for the next however many years he has in him. So let me play this clip. Uh, Gallup reported last week, 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. That's good. See, and that's that's why this whole thing is so frustrating, because it's such a target-rich environment. And, you know, the, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. 
you know, the president is a drama queen. It always has to be about him. If the narrative is not about him, he's not happy. But the bottom line is, if they could have made the narrative about Joe Biden for just 30 days in his campaign, this thing would be over. This yeah. is the, this is this is this is an exact replica of the of the of the first four years, right? It, it, the last four years. I mean, it just, it could have been so much better, and it could have been so much easier, but it's just not. Okay. Well, I think that we have uh, run this down beating pretty that, good. Beating, beating that it to down death. pretty good. So, okay, ACB hearings are underway. We had opening statements yesterday, and they're continuing as we speak. The theme of the hearing so far is that the Democrat, in my opinion, that the Senate Democrats are running a disciplined campaign commercial because they know that some people are watching and they want to, you know, again, pound away at the fear, uh, the fear deal. I think they're actually doing they're, they're staying on message. They're staying disciplined. Uh, it's not going to make a difference at all in either the outcome or, as you've mentioned, in uh, ad nauseum, the election. But I am I'm surprised at times that they are able to, yeah, man. They are able to be disciplined and able to stay focused and 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 cohesive in terms of their message. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you're if you're if you're a collectivist, right, you sign up for the for the mind of the collective, right? You're you're not really allowed to independently think or do something off normal, right? So it is yet another example of what we all hate about this town, right? The ridiculous sham. Um, process the the kabuki that has to happen before you just have a vote, right? As a as a friend of mine who used to work um, for Bob Dole when he was when he was one of Bob Dole's floor managers, he said, you know, sometimes in the Senate you just wish they would just say who's yes and who's no on this thing, and we're getting to that point on on Judge Barrett, right? Well, the outcome is preordained. There's no doubt well, about it. If I mean, you remember when we started this process. I said that that vote was going to happen before the election. I, so I still think it's possible that it might not. It's going to happen before the election. It's, like it's looking like it. that's the case. Yeah, the, the, and I'm actually very glad for that. What, what people don't understand is is that Senator McConnell is not just really good at managing expectations and managing process. He's really good at vote counting. As soon as that vote happens, he's like, okay, we're going to call the vote, right? The only thing I regret is what I regret about all this stuff, as you pointed out. It's campaign commercial for the Democrats, right? And for the Republicans, it's a campaign commercial as well. They're all, oh, it's so wonderful to see you here, your lovely family, and how super smart you are, and all this other stuff. It's great, but it doesn't illuminate anything. I actually didn't mind Senator uh, Sass had a, gave a little civics lesson. Did he I don't really? know if you caught that I yesterday. Didn't. What did. What happened? He basically said there's politics and there's civics, and there are certain things that we should all believe, hold universally as truth. Yeah. Right? You know, and he went into the differences between the party uh, between policy differences and and ju judicial, just sort of the the branches and things like that, I thought it was actually nice. So I think there are moments if people are watching where you get like something else out of it besides you know yeah. uh, the vitriol. But, but I said this earlier this morning. I think this is the best thing that Trump has done in his presidency. The nomination, the nomination of ACB. Yeah, it's it's. Um... There's no well best probably right certainly certainly this the, is the, the best one of the best, one of the best decisions certainly the one made. that's going to have the longest longest termed uh, fruit right you know she God willing she's going to be making decisions for twenty years that are going to be really important right absolutely and useful and um, the flip side of that is if you care about the Supreme Court you 
you don't really feel a compulsive urge to vote for Trump at this point because well, and that's that is definitely the, what I've I just saw this literally like there's some media outlet making the case that all all these you know court people you know don't have don't have to vote for Trump now. I mean, they will. He, he, they, he checked the box, right? They, yeah, they, they will, will. They will because anyway. Yeah. He they he. He has owed that by them. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, I mean, the you know, the first two picks were um, squarely in the middle of the fairway. George Bush could have made him right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is you know, this is the this is the pick we expected, right? This is the kind of pick we expected. Okay, so I know that it doesn't matter, as you have indicated, that nothing matters. That the election is sort of you know on autopilot. I, I didn't I didn't say that. I think the death or disability of one of the candidates. I understood. Yeah. Understood. But I do want to um, I want to play this clip. I, I heard it in a one of one of the podcasts I like to listen to, and I think people that it, listen to podcasts. I do. I actually listen. That's the reason I'm actually doing it is because now I figured you know uh, giving back. If any giving if, back, yeah, I'm giving back. That's right. I want to play this clip, and and there's no origin of it, but I'm guessing it was a, a hearing or a speech. Uh, he references a former Senator Mosley Braun from from Illinois. I want to play it and then I want to discuss it with you just because. Sure. Senator made a very moving and eloquent speech as a son of the Confederacy, acknowledging that it was time to change and yield to a position that Senator Carol Mosley Braun raised on the floor of the Senate, not granting a federal charter to a organization made up of many fine people who continue to display the Confederate flag as a symbol. And the charter was to give them the right, the imperator of the federal government, to do that. Yeah. Very fine people. The exact same phrase that he claims inspired him to run for this seat, yeah. At this time yeah. in his forty-seven years minus three between being the former VP and now, yeah. So that 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 whole the history of that thing is that the the son of the Confederacy that he that he referenced was Bobby Byrd. Yes. So son of Confederacy that he referenced, and by the way, lionized upon his death. Right. Byrd was, of course, a. a a Klansman from West Virginia, right? To me, it's just you know the the idea that you know the and it's, the media is especially egregious here because Trump's clip is too long to play in its entirety, but it's clear as day what he was referring to, and it's referring to the exact same. It is almost verbatim what Vice President Biden, then Senator Biden, just said in that clip. Yeah, well, you know, Joe. Joe had fine, a, very fine people. Joe had a long. Joe's had a long career of of coddling um, Southern Democrats, who you know probably half of whom were Klansmen, and just the last of them was Bobby Byrd. Um, and he's going to get to be president or close. And you know, guys like Trent Lott, who said a stray nice thing about Strom Thurmond once, um, was run out of the get, Senate. Get the opprobrium. So, uh, speaking of the Senate. I want to bring this filibuster thing up because I've I've actually thought about it a little bit more. Good. Um, to, 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 unlike talking about stuff we haven't thought about, we're going to try I, something different. I have uh, 
you know, been of the opinion that it would be a bad idea to lift the filib- legislative filibuster and, and sort of the other side is avoiding the conversation now, although it's been floated by Obama and... Um, floated? He coughed it up at John Lewis. Coughed it up at, 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 at John Lewis. And the funeral. next day, Podesta did. So clearly they're, they're chomping at the bit to do it if they should take the Senate. So it's a two-part question for you. Will the Republicans still hold on to the Senate? Where's your number? Where's your prediction oh, on I'm that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I think so at this point. Yeah, I think we're going to be 51. The numbers have... have been tightening all around, I think, is what I've noticed. Yeah, actually, you know, they were, but what's happened in the last, let's say, week, right? And Barrett's got a lot to do with this, right? Um, as we pre- as we as predicted, we predicted in episode yeah. four, I think, or yeah. two or three or whatever. Lindsey Graham has become much sturdier in South Carolina, right? In the last, just even in the last four Even though his days, opponent raised 57 million 57 bucks. 57 million bucks in like what? It, uh, in the last quarter, in the last quarter yeah, you can't yeah. spend 57 million bucks in South Carolina. You just, no. you literally can't. There's whatever, there's like 4 million people there in the whole state. You, you know, Graham Sturdier, um, Steve Daines out in, out in Montana is, is um, holding steady and a modest plus, right? I think the president's going to win Iowa and pull over, pull Joni Ernst over the finish line with him, right? You know, shaky ones remain Colorado, Arizona, and Maine. And that's just not going to be enough. This thing in North Carolina with Cal Cunningham, he's done. So, you know, uh, uh, you think so? The, the text, the sexting, <laughs> the, the fact, the fact that he couldn't answer, he wouldn't answer if these were the only two affairs he had had. The only two make you think, you know, sent, sent everybody scurrying to find all the rest. Right. So. So, yeah, he's he's toast. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I, I I thought this would kill Susan Collins, the, the sort of non-answer on ACB. But. I don't, I, don't think so. I think that race is tightening too. I think, I think that she's race, got that, a better chance yeah, than I thought. That thing's going to be decided by 5,000 votes or less, right? And that leaves the outliers, Alaska and Kansas. I don't think those are going to be serious at the end of the day. The Kansas lady, Barbara Bollier, not Bollier, Bollier, um, right? She just came out in favor of gun confiscation about two days ago. That was nice. Yeah, that, that finished that race, right? Because approximately. Everybody plus 60 extra people in Kansas own weapons. Um, so that's that. And Alaska, you know, it's a foreign country, so I don't really do work there. But I think Dan Sullivan's going to be okay. So, yeah, I, Dan Sullivan is popular back home. So I think I think 51 is a short answer. Republicans, we're going to hold the Senate. Um, but you want to go on a – you have a two-part I, I question. I have a two-part question because if they do – okay, so if, if the Senate re- – is retained by the Republicans, or this conversation will be over. But if they don't, then it's back on the table, the filibuster. And, you know, we've talked about it before, how it's going to be hard for these moderate Democrats who just got elected to be for it. But I want to talk generally about the legislative filibuster. Yeah. I think that if the Congress, and we've jagged on this before, but I think that if Congress actually did its job and did it the way they're supposed to do it, mm-hmm. This wouldn't even be a conversation. Correct. I don't think we would even need to yeah, be discussing this. However, they have not done their job and aren't doing their job currently for many, many years now. And I think that if ACB gets confirmed, which we think is likely, the Supreme Court will start reining in the regulatory state yeah, and start forcing the question of whether or not these statutes can be bent and stretched and interpreted uh, to yeah. the dismay of of us, but to the to the you know uh, benefit of the Greens yeah. in our space, for example. That alone, I don't think will will have an immediate impact. It'll have a gradual impact. Yeah, that's right. 
But if this, I think that the Congress is so broken that there might be a case for lifting the legislative filibuster. They're, they're not passing anything. They don't pass anything. They put all 13 bills, lump them together, and force presidents to either sign it or shut the government down. There's, that is, we, we cannot vote our, we vote our preferences, but they're not being, yeah. they're not being, we're not being represented anymore Correct. in the United States Congress. Correct. So maybe, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a bad idea. Well, okay. So two things, right? The, that, that nobody really thinks about. One of them is what the, what the filibuster does is it, it is, it protects precedent. Right. It protects the status quo. Um, and, you know, the guys on the left are like, that's terrible, blah, 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 blah. I'll simply point out to you that the other thing, the other institution uh, in this government that reveres precedent and status quo is the judiciary. Right. All these Democrats who are going to vote against Amy uh, Judge Barrett are going to vote against her precisely because they worry about she's going to upend precedent. Right. So. And truthfully, um, you know, a lot of the conservatives are going to vote for her because they think she's going to upend precedent, right? That truth, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Sure, of course. Um, any anybody who's waiting around for the Supreme Court to save you, you're going to yeah. be waiting for a very long time, yeah. right? The um, so the filibuster. Um, if I were McConnell and I ran the Republican Senate, and I had fifty-one, I think I might very well go ahead and void the filibuster rule myself. And I'll tell you why. Because at some point, I'm sort of kidding. I don't think McConnell's going to do this, but he should or should think about it. Because at, when the filibuster gets gets blown up, when that 60 vote threshold gets blown up, and, and I think it's probably more a question of when, when rather than whether, right? What you're going to find out is, is that huge chunks of the government that had previously been untouchable for Republicans are going to become touchable. Your next Republican, next time you get a Republican president and a Republican Senate, you are going to wind up having really long, tough conversations about Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and all of that stuff, right? All these, all these legislative and regulatory schemes that have become encrusted with precedent over the years, you take away filibuster, that stuff becomes live all of a sudden. You know, if I were a Democrat, you want to preserve the status quo. You got yourself a $4 trillion government. You got pretty much everything you want in the federal right. government. Right. I mean, the, the, the whole the system is rigged on, on just keep going. for them. Just, just right just now, keep going. The, the situation we yes. are in is to their advantage yes. because it's complete and utter gridlock yes. in Congress. Yes. So the system just goes on spending money. You know, spending more and more money each year, programs go on that should be killed, et cetera, et cetera. You get yourself one, you know, you take away that 60 votes, you get yourself 53 Republicans and a Republican president who are serious about this stuff. Forget it. Everything that you love, you know, forget the spending for a second. Even stuff that, you know, the Republicans want to go look at, like Immigration Reform Control Act 86, right? All that stuff all of a sudden becomes live. Clean Air Act becomes live. I mean, that's what I mean. You know, I, and I, I don't think we were quoted in NPR pulled. Here's an announcement for our listeners. NPR pulled from our podcast when we talked about the fact that 
the Supreme Court will force Congress to actually deal with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. and 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 it's you know if if I were if I were a Democrat, I would think long and hard about this. Um, yeah, like, I mean they're mad rushed. They're, they're, things yeah. aren't moving fast enough for them, so they need to break the filibuster yeah. so they could pass stuff faster. There, there's second order consequences. Right. They just don't think about it, and they're about to get another lesson in second order consequences. When they like Biden. Well, when they <laughs> when they get a chance to vote for Barrett, right, or vote against Barrett, so. Think about what you're going to do here, folks, because you're going to live with it for a while. Anyway, uh, so the whole so I I so then filibuster is going to go away. At legislative some, filibuster at some point. At, at some, some point. point. Yeah, there's just not there's not and, comedy and this, in the the road to that has has been 17th Amendment, which for yeah. folks who don't know exactly the, the which one that is, was the that the Senate used to be elected by the legislative bodies of the states until the 17th Amendment. That was the beginning of the erosion. Yeah. Obviously, for judicial stuff, thank you, Harry Reid. That was the second sort of inflection point in this in this inevitable yeah. process. McConnell did lifting of it for Supreme Justices. It is coming. The legislative filibuster is it, coming to an, it, an it, end. You know, I mean, the problem is the the problem is is that the Senate. There's two problems, right? First off, um, for a long time, the Senate was the haven of um, guys who had served in World War II, right, on mm -hmm. both sides. Senator Dole. Well, you know. But, and Vietnam. Senator well, Kerry. I was thinking Mondale right. and um, McGovern, right? And astronauts. A lot of astronauts get right, in. Right, right. It, it, well, that's my second point, right? So so for for a long time, we've been, we've been insulated by the World War II generation, right? Guys who, Republicans, Democrats, was much less important to them, right? Than the fact that they had gone off and done this thing together, right? Um, so that's thing one, and that's gone, right? Now we have a bunch of guys who, most of whom never have served um, and would probably wet their pants if a drill sergeant yelled at them. And then the second thing is the Senate used to be a place of where people of accomplishment went. You know, I don't want to say to retire, but when when they were done accomplishing whatever they were going to accomplish, right? They were, they were governors, they were business leaders, they were astronauts, they were military heroes, whatever. They had done something else, and they went to the Senate and viewed it as a, a pretty exclusive club that it was cool to be in, right? And then they had busted their ass to get into, right? The, unfortunately, the Senate is now jammed with guys whose business is politics. And they just look at and it. And who want to run for president. Right. They just look at it like, hey, this is the next climb up the ladder, the next run up the ladder, so I'm going to do it. Serve my time, get my platform. Right. And they're incapable of figuring out that, you know, the filibuster gives them real life personal leverage over them, over their own leadership, over their colleagues. Because like I said, you know, they used to be people of achievement. And if you look at the United States Senate now, most of them are like former house guys or, you know, sort of marginally competent politicians instead of, you know, like I said, people of achievement. So they have trouble with both second order thought and and just run of the mill. What makes me stronger? What makes me weaker? You know, we're going to have a whole bunch of people, I think, at some point take the dive and um, and do it and do and make a mistake. Senator Lee tweeted uh, last week or so, democracy isn't the objective. Liberty, yeah, peace, and prosperity are, he spelled prosperity wrong. We want the human condition to flourish. Rank democracy can thwart that. Yeah, that's obviously true. Um, I, you know, I saw that tweet and I saw he got pushed back from, I forget who. Y you look at, um, 
and I have two specific examples in mind, right? Um, you look at the longest, um, strongest society in which rights have been guaranteed, and you're looking at the British Empire, right? So from, you know, when they stopped, when they finally got around to stop killing Catholics around, you know, 1700, from that day until this, um, they had been uh, fairly sturdy, and a good chunk of that time was where there was a king, right? The monarchy. But the people concluded that the monarchy served its purposes, their purposes better, so they kept it, right? Um, democracies, people who vote, voted Hitler in. So, you know, a democracy is not a guarantee of life, liberty, prosperity, or any of that stuff, nor is a monarchy a guarantee of the reverse. And I... I found the whole conversation. I found I found Mike Lee's tweet to be unremarkable and spot on. And I understand why people. Well, it's Twitter. I mean, there's there any any anytime any puts puts up anything on Twitter, you're going to get that. So um, okay, so we have not talked about energy at all. This th theoretically is the American Energy Alliance podcast. So no, it isn't. It's yours and my podcast. That's true. That's true. But you did uh, muse about what a Biden uh, administration would look like uh, in the energy environment space. Do you want to rattle those off? Yeah, uh, I think the real first, quick. Yeah, I do. I think the first one's going to be right a net zero, a national net zero uh, carbon emissions goal by 2050, right? Because okay, that costs nothing. Let me interject here. We have an IER blog on this. Uh, Biden's goal is more aggressive. Yeah, than well, California. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's so, it's, it's it, it doesn't really it's not going to happen. But it doesn't really matter. It's like saying my goal is to you know run a marathon next week. I make it as aggressive as I want. Not going to do it. Some sort of clean energy standard right on the utility side. Um, steady downward pressure on oil, natural gas, um, and refined products, especially in the export facilities. Right, we're uh, we're in the middle of a build out on our export capacities for all three of those, and we're um, that's I think where the Biden administration is going to go on the regulatory side. Um, downward pressure on production to the extent that's possible, methane, and back to the point about what courts are going to tolerate and not not tolerate. Clean Air Act needs to be amended if you really want to regulate methane. Can't can't make it any simpler. Um, I think we're going to you know um, get wind up getting extensions or expansions for wind and solar and EVs. Oh yeah, that, that whole yeah. fight is lost um, if if he's elected. And, and then you know now that California's opened the door. Um, we have the RFS reset coming in 2023, um, right, where the, the enumerated, the statutory enumerated volumes drop off. Um, that thing's going to get turned into an electrification mandate. Just, yeah. Just like, you know, he's going to mimic what Gavin Newsom sure. just did. Is that and ironically, the ethanol people are so, again, incapable of second order thought because they, for years, they have been preserving this badly written and and an awful uh, law, the, the the ethanol mandate. They're preserving a system that they're actually going to end up accelerating their demise if they want to continue to put ethanol in gasoline. Yeah, and you know, I think that's the 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 funny thing about that. Funny, huh? Funny in the way a guy walking to the gallows is funny. The funny thing about that is, I think we're going to wind up with a coalition of liquid fuels guys. It's going to be ethanol and refiners and. Maybe yeah, even I mean, maybe even our too friends little, over, too late. Maybe even our friends at American Petroleum Institute. But yeah, this was the four years to do that deal. Absolutely. Yeah, it's gonna be really, really our, our difficult. Friend, now. Our friend, our mutual friend has been pushing this octane stuff. Thir theoretically had the solution for them if they weren't so greedy. Yeah, I was gonna say they're they're 
there are a bunch of different ways to approach it. Um, waiting was the worst possible option. Yeah. And it's the one that everybody took. So um, we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, it's it, iron law of elections. Winners are always disappointed. Losers are always pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Well, the federal lands are toast. That's for sure. Uh, federal lands are already toast. We got a guy. We got a guy who just dropped um, moratorium uh, all the way up the Atlantic coast on us. No, did he add Virginia he yet added, already? He said he, he said he was going to add Virginia. So, well, if he's going to do that, if he hasn't yet, I have a suggestion for the Trump uh, administration and the folks, good folks at Interior, send it all the way up. The entire East Coast. Why Why stop in Virginia? Yeah, well. Because, and again, this points to how subjective this offshore act is, which has to be reformed and, and legis we have to have a legislative solution. If it's so politicized that you can cherry pick states to take off limits <laughs> and you can now interpret it to include wind, which the administration has done, and also allow seismic. Then send it all the way up the coast because that'll help me in Maryland because they're jamming a, an offshore wind project uh, on the on the poor folks in the on the in the eastern shore. Yeah, and that'll mess around with New Jersey as well. So send it all the way up, Mr. President. If you're going to make a, yet another state arbitrarily off limits for oil and gas production, it'll include wind, and you can still do seismic. So that to me is you know. What's the point? What's the difference at this point? Yeah, that's right. And and that's, you know, that it's a great point you make, right? That this whole thing is it's a sham. It it's kabuki. It it has no there's no um rationale or process or meaning to it at all. It's just what our it's just what our rulers feel like giving us at any particular moment. Um I I do think that um you wanted to chat about uh personnel you wanted to make a point about Biden's people who he's bringing. Oh out. yeah, so so Politico ran something yesterday about who's going to be doing what in the Biden administration, and I guarantee you, progressives all over the country spit up their coffee when they read it because they had either his chief of staff Ron Klain or Steve Ricchetti. All right, now you can say a lot of things about Ron Klain and Steve Ricchetti, and I'll tell you right now, they're top pros. They are top pros. They're the best in the business, right? But um, as far as swamp creatures go. You know they're they're swampiest. They're the. I mean, Steve is a Democrat. is a is a defense lobbyist. Um, you know, Klain. I'm assuming you know has turned some of his experience last time in government into healthcare money. Um, it is not quite the clean, wonderful break from the Trump administration. I mean, compared to these two guys, Mark Meadows looks like a virgin. Um, and you know, a much less competent virgin, but a virgin. Um, it, it 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 bowled me over, and the list of people for the cabinet it was similarly made me chuckle, right? Because it's just all these retreads from the Obama. Yeah, I I was actually got a call from a reporter friend who um, I guess reporter um, Robin Bravender. Yeah, she asked me about uh, the Shout fact that all Robin. of K Street. <laughs> yeah. Is lining up for Biden, yeah, and I was just like, "Oh wow, that's a shocker, right?" So you know, of course, the the article was riddled with anonymous sources and Jim Moran, who, as you know, Jim, Jim Moran is anonymous. <laughs> well, but he was remember Jim Moran when he was a congressman. Sure, man, he was pretty boisterous. I, right? I think I, he punched somebody. He punched he punched <laughs> somebody in addition to yeah, anyway. Go ahead. 
anyhow, so he said it's a it's a Biden route, uh, and and K Street should be ready for it. But uh, I was quoted. I'm trying to find the exact quote. But Tom Pyle, who worked on Trump's 2016 transition team and is president of the American Energy Alliance, said that a Biden presidency would probably be preferable to the K Street crowd. The establishment doesn't like Trump, Pyle said. They're not risk takers and they prefer business as usual. As long as they have enough access, they'll get their hearing. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know. um, Which, by the way, you know, I've been saying forever. Well, okay. so the big difference between a Biden administration and Obama administration and a Trump administration, I'll give you the difference between the three real quick terms. Right. When you went in to see the Obama guys with a problem, they would listen to you respectfully. And then completely ignore you. They wouldn't completely ignore you. They wouldn't completely do anything. They'd just thank you for coming in, and then you'd leave. And if you were like, I, I have no idea if any of that was worthwhile, right? Biden administration is going to be just like a Clinton administration, right? Clinton guys, you'd walk in. You'd do your rap. They'd say, okay, here's what we can do. And then you'd start looking for the Venn diagram of what they could do and what you wanted them to do. And the, the conversations were always um, interactive and fruitful. Um, it's going to be the same way for Biden, right? He gets the racket. His crew's been in town for right. forever. Right. It's going the to be. The progressives are going to be disappointed. The progressives. They're not going to be. The they're not going to be. They're not going to be blanked either. Well, they won't be blanked. Right. And they're not going to be quiet. Right. I mean, they're going to yell, but. Bottom line is, you know, um, business is going to go back to usual in a Biden administration. For God's sake, just look at, you know, everybody barks about Trump's family. Look at Biden's family. Hunter's up to his eyeballs already, and now it turns out his son-in-law's up to his eyeballs already. They're not even in yet, and they're up to their eyeballs. Yeah, look, let's not make any mistakes about the, the Trump presidency. The establishment is a collection of Republicans and Democrats who do not benefit either financially or politically or sort of, you know, culturally by the Trump presidency. They would all like nothing more than for him to be removed from town. That's true. Period. That's generally true. And that includes people who used to work for Paul Ryan. Sure. All the way down the line. Sure. They'll be the first to tell you. All right. So um, we thank you. We got some we did some energy talk, which is good. Give us the clip of the day. Everywhere I've been hearing all around the country. You're trying your breast, but it never feels like enough. <laughs> I, I know I'm always trying my breast, and it never feels like enough. Ladies and gentlemen, until our next episode. That was good. <laughs>